Good morning, everyone. Before I um, actually start the message, there's a couple announcements. I, I failed to um, get these in the bulletin, so I thought, well, I'll just share them this morning um, before I start the message. And that is, um, for the relief sale, uh, the MDS, Mennonite Disaster Service, is having their storm trailer um, come, uh, and it'll be at the relief sale both Friday and Saturday. And um, the storm trailer is actually, um, that's what it looks like, it's actually a um, virtual encounter with a tornado. Um, so you can sit inside and watch the screen and um, they'll take you to the kind of through the process of what it feels like um, to have a tornado uh, come at you and, and destroy your house. So um, it's interesting to see. And then they also obviously do a little bit of um, speaking about um, after that, uh, let you know a little bit about MDS and where, where they're working and what they're doing currently. So if you get a chance, um, yeah, I'd encourage you to do that uh, and uh, go through that. Also want to mention that uh, Mennonite Disaster Service, um, we got a phone call from the American Baptist um, Relief Group and they're needing help in East St. Louis um, with the flooding that happened here a couple weeks ago or a week ago. Um, and so they need some help there. They're gonna be down there for several weeks, need help mucking out houses and, and just doing general cleanup there. So if you'd be willing to do to help with that, um, let me know and I can get you in touch with them and, uh, and get you down there. And then also, uh, Mennonite Disaster Service with the floods in Kentucky that happened, uh, that actually quite a few people lost their lives there. Um, that was pretty major flooding and um, they've done inspections there now and it looks like the last of uh, last week in August, uh, they plan to set up uh, down there and start helping down there as well. So um, just make you aware of those. If you're willing or able to help in any of those ways, um, let me know and I can, like I said, I can point you in the right direction. Um, before I get into the scripture this morning, um, I wanna do an object lesson. You guys know me, right? I love object lessons. How many, how many of you guys, how many of you like object lessons? Uh, some people really like object lessons because they, they catch things in it, you know, it sticks with them better when they have an object lesson. So this morning I thought, well, we do an object lesson before I get started. And I brought two balls. These are balls that my grandson Colin loves to play with and, and they're, you know, they're easy to catch, they're soft, uh, they won't hurt you. But I thought this morning I would use them uh, as an object lesson. Whew. <laughs> okay, Ryan's awake now. <laughs> now, I, I'm going to give you the option. You can, you can take that ball, you can toss it back to me if you want, or if you want to find somebody else you want to toss it to, feel free to do that as well. Either one of you. Oh, there it comes. Good catch. <laughs> That, that woke a couple people up this morning now, right? Thank you, Leland. You guys feel left out? Anybody feel left out? I'll throw the ball to you if you feel left out. You ready, Jim? Oh. <laughs> uh, well, I do that um, as a way to uh, kind of lead into the fact that, you know, when I threw that ball, um, you had a decision to make, right? For those of you who caught that ball and that was tossed to you, right? You had a decision to make. You had to decide whether you were gonna catch that ball or not, right? Um, and then, not only that, um, I gave you the option of being able to throw it to somebody else. So you had the decision to make of 
whether you're going to throw it back to me or throw it to somebody else. Um, and so, you know, when we think about decisions, um, we, we make hundreds, probably thousands of decisions every day. I mean, you think about, um, you think about just getting up in the morning. Well, first of all, you probably, well, alarm might wake you up, but then you have to decide whether you're going to go ahead and get up or whether you're going to stay in bed. And that can be a pretty major decision some days, right? Right? Those decisions aren't always easy, but, um, but then from there, you, you know, you just follow your day through and think about how many decisions you make, what you wear, what you're going to eat for breakfast, who you're going to talk to that day, you know, um, are you going to drive to work, you going to walk to work, you going to pedal to work, you know, what are, what are you going to do? All those things, and, and you think that maybe those decisions, you don't think about some of those actually being decisions, it's kind of automatic. But, but the reality is you really do have to decide what you're going to do that morning. You really do have to decide what, you're, what way you're going to go. Um, we, we have to make decisions about our attitudes, right? How, what kind of attitude am I going to have today um, when I'm around people? And, and if people, you know, if somebody upsets me, how am I going to respond? Those are all types of decisions that we have to make every day. And um, like I said, there's thousands of those. And some of them, you know, don't really matter whether, you know, you wear a blue shirt or a white shirt, does it really matter? Um, but others make a difference in how our day goes and what we do and how others see us. Um, well, today we want to look a little bit at the most decision, the most important decision we have in our lives. And the text is from Luke 12. 49 to 56. So um, Luke 12, 49 to 56. This is scripture. When I, when I read this, I, I guess I, I know I've read it before, but I'm, I must have just really not paid attention to what it said, I guess, or, or it didn't, didn't hit me. Um, so before I read the scripture, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Father, I just thank you uh, for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit in our lives in its presence here with us this morning. I pray that, that what is said this morning uh, will glorify you and you only. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, Luke 12, 49 through 59. It says, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be, fi there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. 
you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going uh, with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way. Or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And when I read that, I said, wow, that really doesn't sound like the Jesus I grew up knowing or was taught about. Um, I mean, is that the same one that I put my faith in and have learned to trust over the years? I mean, he, he says he's going to bring fire on the earth. And then he says there's going to be division. It just doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. It sounds more like, uh, you know, one of those uh, superhero movies, a line out of one of those where that villain or the, the arch nemesis um, says, you know, I'm going to bring fire down on everything. You're all going to be destroyed. That's what it sounds like. And those bad guys in those movies, are, you know, they're always waiting to destroy the earth or at least the things that they don't like about it. But my guess is that Jesus didn't sound quite like those villains in the movies when he spoke these words. I believe he said them with authority, but it was with a loving authority. These words weren't spoken out of hate or rage or a desire to cause pain. Now, these words were spoken in honesty and love. And maybe to have a better understanding of what Jesus is saying here, maybe we need to look at the word fire and what it typically means and how it's used here. And, and what's, your, what's your first thought when you think about fire? What's some of the first words that come to mind? Well, it depends on who you are, how old you are, what you've done lately. Fire for me, first thing that comes to mind is my, my, my sister just lost her barn to a fire, totally destroyed this huge dairy barn. And I have firsthand experience with burning barns, by the way. I don't know. Some of you know that already. If you want to know more about it, you can ask me sometime. But what are, what are some things, other things that come to mind? For, for a fireman, what, 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 what comes to mind? Is it destruction, hot, burn, you know, water? Maybe water comes to mind first for a fireman when he thinks about fire. Or maybe for some of you, it's that it gives you this kind of warm feeling because your first, first thought goes to a campfire and sitting around a campfire enjoying s'mores. And then that reminds you of that old campfire song, right? It only takes a spark to get a fire going. You guys could probably sing that automatically if somebody started it. <clears throat> well, I have several scriptures that I want to share that mention, that mention fire. And actually, the one verse that was read uh, this morning in Jeremiah said that, um, that the word of God is like fire. Uh, but the ones I want to share this morning are uh, found in, in Luke again. Actually, back just a little bit in chapter 3. Verse 9, it says, The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The second one is in verse 16, that same chapter. 
And it says, John answered all of them, or John answered them all. I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is John the Baptist speaking about Jesus, and actually, he mentions fire again in the very next verse when he talks about Jesus using a winnowing fork to clean up the threshing floor. He says that the chaff that is left will be burned up with an unquenchable fire. Now, I'm not exactly sure what a winnowing fork looks like, but I don't know, Levi, if you had any winnowing forks out there when you did the threshing show. But um, So if you want to know what a winnowing fork looks like, ask Levi, he can tell you. Um, there's also uh, another event in the Bible that's familiar to all of us uh, that speaks about fire. Can somebody throw that out? What's the other event or time in the Bible when it speaks about fire? And, pardon? Fiery furnace. There's another one. Burning bush. There's lots of examples of fire, right? Um, and in Acts chapter 2, when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that it looked like tongues of fire coming down and resting on those that were present. So what kind of understanding do we get about fire in the Bible from these verses? We can probably take those first couple verses, the, verses, the verse that talks about trees not producing fruit and being thrown into the fire and the chaff being burned up, uh, that was the chaff that was left being burned up uh, with an unquenchable fire. We can probably put those two together in the fact that, you know, they talk about, really talk about something that's no longer producing, no longer has any value. It's not doing anybody any good. It's been separated, actually, from its, from its, the, uh, from its original piece that it was, it was a part of, and so it, it no longer produces anything. And we... We use fire, most of us use fire for that type of purpose, right? right? We, we have all kinds of things that we get rid of or used to be able to. Uh, you can't, aren't allowed to burn so many things anymore. But how, you know, I bet a lot of you have burned an old mattress, right? Or burned an old chair that broke a leg or, you know, we get rid of those. We take fire, throw them in the fire, get rid of them. They no longer, no longer serve a purpose. They're no longer able to do what they're supposed to do. So, Fire is, has this kind of way of, of judging, right? It's get rid, of, get rid of the stuff that isn't any good, separates the good from the bad. Uh, and so we think, if we think of it in spiritual terms, it, it judges what is godly and what's not. The other scriptures that I mentioned made reference to the Holy Spirit and fire together. John the Baptist said we would be baptized with the Holy Spirit and so it was on the day of Pentecost, as they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire rested on them. As we receive the fire of the Holy Spirit, it helps, cleanse us, and shows us, shows us or makes, us, makes known to us the things uh, within us that aren't pleasing to God. It helps purify and lead us and makes us a holy people. In Bible times, refiners used fire as a gold purifier. And fire caused impurities to rise to the surface so that they could be removed more easily. You know, and I, so I tried to look at 
uh, find out a little bit more about that in gold and how it's purified. 24 karat gold is nearly 100% gold with few impurities. But that percentage is difficult to achieve, they say. Refiners most commonly use one or two methods for purification process. And I found this interesting. The first one is the Miller process. Uh, but it's not the best. Um, <laughs> the Miller process actually uses chlorine gas that is, that is put into the, the molten gold. And it's, it's actually the quickest and the least expensive way to refine it. But the gold uh, that's, that's left results in only about 99.95% pure. So it's not quite pure. The wool will, wool will, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not, um, actually uh, is another process that's used. It's more expensive. But it uses electricity along with uh, chlor chloritic acid. Um, and that process takes a whole lot longer than the Miller process and costs a lot more. But the gold produced when they do it, when they use that process is 99.99% pure. So there is very, very little impurities in that gold if they use that process. So as I looked at those, I, I believe we can apply these ideas or understandings of judging, purging, refining, purifying to the way in which the word fire is used in this text. The fire Jesus brings to this earth separates the pure from the impure. When Jesus came, he brought both judgment and a purification process. When Jesus left this earth, he made it possible for us to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, often represented by fire in the Bible. Verse 49 and 50 lets us know that this baptism hasn't been made complete yet when, when Jesus speaks these words. When he says, I wish it were already kindled but I have a baptism to undergo. This fire he brings to the earth doesn't fully happen until Jesus dies on the cross with the weight of our sin on his shoulders and then rises from the dead three days later. At the, at, it is at that point that this fire is kindled and begins to spread across the nation of Israel and around the world today. In verse 51, there's another statement um, that I've already mentioned, but he's, it says that um, that, it, that doesn't seem like Jesus at all when he says this. When he says, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? And he says, no, I tell you, but division. And that just seems totally opposite of what I've always been told and what I know about Jesus. I mean, the Bible tells us in many places that Jesus himself uh, speaks about love for each other, love for our enemies. He speaks about reconciliation and unity, putting aside our differences to share the love of Jesus with others. And he came so that we could have life and have it more abundantly, right? Coming to say, saying he's come to bring division just doesn't quite fit in there, or it doesn't seem so. Jesus himself hung out with crooks, dishonest leaders, prostitutes and the like. It doesn't seem like he tried to separate himself. It doesn't seem like he divided himself from others. In the several following scripture verses, he goes on to give numerous ways in which families will be separated and divided against each other. Two against three, three against two, father against son, mother against daughter, 
daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, and so on. He doesn't really mention being divided um, from friends or other acquaintances, although I'm sure that is implied here. But Jesus keeps it more personal and talks about division in your immediate family. My guess is there are many of us who have disagreements with other family members. Those disagreements can range from small things like what we should wear, or it can go to larger things like just exactly how are we going to divide the inheritance. Or maybe it can even come down to the biggest decision of all, and that is who do you say Jesus is? Like Jesus, we need to understand that through his life and death, there is a decision that every single person on this earth will have to make. Just like me throwing the ball, those who caught it had to make a decision. At that point, they didn't have a choice. I guess, well, the choice could have been to not catch it and let them hit it. They could have done that. But that still would have been a choice that they would have made. They had to choose what they were going to do with that object coming at them. And it's the same way with Jesus coming to this earth and offering us grace and redemption. Everybody now has a choice to make. Will we receive him as the Lord and Savior of our lives? Will we give our hearts to him? Will we be a Christ follower? Or will we turn away from him? Which will it be? You can't, this is one of those decisions you can't be middle of the road on. The decision has to be made. And that decision often can cause division. Because there will be those who choose not to accept Jesus as Lord. In fact, it could be one of your own family members. My nephew's son, Drew, who spoke here at AMC, and some of you are supporting him, I believe, Uh, is in Jordan now for his two-year missionary stay there. And in a recent email I received from Team Expansion, which is the organization that he's going through and working with, there was a short little blurb about a couple from East Africa who experienced this division firsthand. And This is what the, the little blurb said. This past month, we talked with a local couple in East Africa. Let's call them Joe and Sally. Sally is a believer from a Muslim background. Recently, recently neighbors threatened to beat them up. Sadly, even Sally's siblings began threatening to harm them. At the end of it all, Joe and Sally had to leave the refugee camp where they had been staying for months. They moved to a town several hours away in which there are very few Muslims and very few members of their ethnic group. So for for now, they're at least safe, but they want so much to have an impact on others. So this month, Joe and Sally are starting a training program that will prepare them to use social media and other digital tools as a way of reaching out and communicating with their people. You know, most of us have heard stories like that, I believe, but how difficult it must be not only to not be accepted by your immediate family, but to be threatened with harm because of their decision to follow Christ. 
when Jesus speaks of division, this is what he's talking about. You know, and I, I don't think this couple loved or um, disliked their family or didn't love their family um, just because they became Christians. I believe they still love them. But um, because of that, they had to separate themselves, even physically separate themselves from them so that uh, they wouldn't be harmed and for their own safety. In verse 54 and 56, Jesus is talking about the nation of Israel, actually, and this is who he's talking to when he says these words, but, and how they seem not to be able to interpret the times, more specifically, the coming of Jesus as the Messiah. And he uses several examples of how they interpret, to, to point this out in, in how they interpret weather. He says, when they, when they see the clouds rising in the west, they know it's going to rain. When they get a strong south wind, they know it's going to be hot. This sounds really familiar for us or similar to us, right, here in central Illinois. If we see clouds rising in the west, um, we know that there's going to be a good chance of rain. One of the things I enjoy about, speaking of rain and clouds rising in, in the Midwest, one of the things I enjoy about living uh, in the Midwest and living next to a field, especially a cornfield, is being able to hear a rainstorm come in. How many of you have sat outside when you know a big storm's coming in and listened to the rain come across the field? It starts out kind of quiet, yeah. You know, a mile away you can hear it just starting to come, and then the closer it gets, the louder it gets as those raindrops hit those leaves on the corn stalks. I love that. Um, sorry, that wasn't really, yeah, it was just one of my, if, if we get a strong south wind here in Illinois, uh, we're knowing, we know we're going to get hot weather as well, right? We also know we're probably going to get some of that humidity from the Gulf, uh, and it's going to be hot and humid here. Um, we seem to get plenty of that. Jesus says, you can interpret the weather, but you don't recognize me. It is much the same for us, right? We have all this knowledge and technology to figure out almost anything, and yet we often fail to recognize Jesus as our Lord. And for those of us who claim to be Christ followers, do we recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? The fire we received when Jesus ascended to heaven. Can we interpret or tell the difference between the work of God and the work of Satan? The last portion of this text talks about being reconciled with our adversary before you go to the magistrate when the judge sends you to prison. In Bible times, if you were taken to prison by the magistrate for not paying a debt, you were often beaten regularly so that your family member would pay the debt and get you released. Because obviously if you're in prison, you're not going to be able to pay the debt. If you couldn't pay it before you went to prison, you're not going to be able to pay it then. So they would, to get that debt paid, they would beat that prisoner so that the family member would come bail them out. And this scripture is seen in two ways lots of times. One is needing to reconcile with each other. And the second is needing to be reconciled to God. And both of these need to happen in our own lives. But I think this particular instance really points more towards the reconciliation with God. And three key words here in that portion of the scripture are on the way. Jesus says we should try hard to be reconciled on the way. Don't wait until you're almost there or when you get to the judge because then it may be too late and you'll get thrown into jail. And I believe this reminds us not to wait on making the decision to follow Christ. The time is now. 
We don't know what tomorrow or the next day brings, right? Don't wait. Don't put off making that decision. Decision time. And some might say it's go time. You know? Stop kicking the can down the road. What are you waiting for? You know, make that decision now because none of us know exactly how old we are. And we've experienced that in this community, um, in other communities close by with um, losing young people. And so um, make that decision now to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and let him refine and purify you. And if you've already made that decision, praise God, praise God. But maybe you know of some impurities or you've come to realize the Holy Spirit's pointed out some impurities within your own life that have surfaced. And you need to have that taken off so that you can become 99.99% pure. If so, pray about that and allow the fire, the spirit within you, to help you with that and help remove those impurities within your life. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, I thank you uh, for your son, Jesus. I thank you for his love and his willingness to go to the cross so that we could have life. And Lord, we know with that, we know with the fact that Jesus went to the cross for our sins and then rose again, that we have that power, that fire within us to overcome, Lord, to give us strength, to help us through those tough times. But Lord, we also know that, that we aren't perfect, that there are plenty of times when we fail the will of God. And so, Lord, we just ask now that, that you would forgive us of that, that you would continue to work in our hearts and our minds, revealing that which is impure within us. Lord, we just ask for strength and mercy and grace in all of that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have a good week.